0: Welcome to the seventh episode of Functional Geekery. I am your host, Proctor, and this week with us we have Angela Harms and Jason Felice. Angela, do you want to start out telling us about yourself, and then we'll move on to Jason?
1: At the moment, I'm working as an Agile technical coach, which means I get to play with a lot of different languages and a lot of different nerds, and it's really fun. I'm new to Clojure, and so I do a lot of learning while Jason does a lot of expertise. But I get to help make the make Avi expressive and that makes me happy.
0: I was first familiar with you uh, and you did a guest appearance on Ruby Rogues in which you talked about being good to each other, which was a good episode I recommend people to check out to get more background on you as well.
1: Oh uh, yeah,
0: been a while. Jason, do you want to give everybody a little rundown of yourself and your history?
2: Sure. I have been programming for something <laughs> like Thirty years, yep, thirty years, and I've been using Vim for thirteen. I started on the Commodore sixty-four. Oh no, I started on the Atari eight hundred, and then I, then the Commodore sixty-four, and then eventually I got to a uh, MacBook Pro, which is you know kind of a step step up there.
1: You weren't using Vim on a Commodore sixty-four?
2: No, no, <laughs> definitely not.
1: Well, that's what it sucks. <laughs>
2: Nope, even you. I would have loved to have had it. No, yeah. So I don't know. I'm not very good at intros. I feel like I'm missing something. But ask me questions if I if there's something you want me to say.
1: How did
0: you get into closure?
1: Oh, that's. Oh, uh, that is a good question. Wait, can I answer this? (laughs) Sure. Jason was really pissed off at software, and it was kind of a pattern, and I was starting to get worried but he's a big fan of Scheme and LISPs in general. But I was starting to get worried that there was just no software that was going to make him happy anymore. And then he found out about Clojure, and he started coding in Clojure and kept being happy. Like, week after week, he was still happy, and I was just like, wow, this is really something different. So that's yep. my answer to how you got into Clojure. I got yeah. into Closure because he won't code Haskell with me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: True, true. Yeah I, yeah, I guess that is one of the properties about Closure that I fundamentally like, is that it has it takes from the lisps, and I can do some for my day job.
0: So you two are part of a group organization, Maitreya?
1: Well, we pretty much are, it. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Do you want to give some background about that? I checked out your homepage for that, and I guess it was your mission statement, and your philosophy was very intriguing.
2: What to say about it? It's a thing that we are sort of trying to reify. It's about beautiful code and helping geeks be happy. And geek joy was actually the best way to say it, I think. And it's about.
1: Well, it also came from sort of a crisis point only a couple years ago where we were both. I don't know if we were dealing with some gnarly code or just a situation with a bunch of annoying frameworks and environmental impediments. And we started talking about what are we doing here? Why are we, why are we actually doing this? What matters? And it was a couple of weeks that we spent really just talking about it all the time. And we ended up boiling down these four things that really matter to us in our work. And and I think it really helped to focus us on what we're doing. It definitely impacts my coaching just to have that vision laid out. I guess nobody else has seen the webpage, so we should probably mention what, the, what we're talking about, right?
0: Yeah, you can go ahead and do that. I'll make sure to give a link so people can go back and read it as well. And...
1: Okay. So the principles we came up with are really short. Because we care about beautiful code, we hack with intention. Because we care about geek joy, we encourage geeks to code from the heart. Because we care about what's alive in the people we touch, we speak and listen with courageous curiosity. Because we care about what emerges when we collaborate, we show up with confident humility. It was really just a way for us to focus our attention and put new meaning into our work, I think, at a point when we were feeling like we needed that.
0: So I had heard about Angela before, as I said from the Ruby Rogues, but I was following you, Angela, and I saw a tweet about a new vi implementation with closure and a live repl and so i responded something along the lines of i love peanut butter and my chocolate and my pretzels all wrapped (laughs) together (laughs) and that it sounds awesome and i can't wait to see the progress of it and then jason responded with a link to the repository and so i started digging through that and it looked like Neat little start to the project, so I wanted to get you guys on to kind of talk about your intention there, and your goal, and what you guys see for it, and just kind of the general outline of what you're hoping to do, and where you're kind of going, and what you think you're learning with it. Sure. So,
1: I'm wondering if your first thought was the same as mine, which is that Jason will go to amazing lengths to avoid learning Emacs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I was just thinking about this and I was just thinking, so I've been using Vim since like at least 2000. So that puts me, well, okay, I'm not sure if it was Vim in 2000, AVI since 2000. And Vim would be shortly after that if it wasn't the right way. And I've been thinking that I'm not sure there's another piece of software that I have used for 13 years. So I started using Screen early, but now I've changed to Tmux. I was on Linux and now I'm on Mac. I don't know if there's another piece of software that I use so constantly every day and that I have for as long as that. And I'm still learning it, right? Which is interesting because I'm writing a VI now and I still like I learned about C percent just today based on somebody's tweet. And so there's still much more for me to explore in it and, and that's one of the aspects that I like about it. It makes me happy. I guess that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, that was one of the other things that had kind of piqued my interest. And then we'll start getting into just some of the deeper stuff was I came from a Microsoft background doing .NET Framework. And with that, there was a plugin for Visual Studio. I believe it was VisVim. And I heard a podcast later on where the guy was talking about creating it. He goes, this has been an exceptional way for me to learn VI as well. He goes, I didn't think I would learn as much VI as I did. By having to write this, mm-hmm. because all the bug reports that would come in, all these obtuse commands which are really insanely powerful that I had no idea happened, it mm-hmm. goes and it's just expanded my mind how much more there is to Vim and all the things I'm starting to learn about it that I had no idea it could do.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. I'm uh, like I'm in one way. I'm just beginning this journey, but I, I've already learned some
0: interesting things. So I guess we'll start kind of from the beginning with Avi as it's called. Why closure? Was that just something you want to have a project as a sandbox to start with to help learn Clojure or be able to use it? Let's see.
2: Well, part of it was that I would want it to be in the Lisp, and part of it is that Clojure is the Lisp that I am using right now. And one of the things that I like about Lisp in general is that because of the fact that it's written in its own data structures, it's like the language... Cannot really go out of date, right? It's easy to write an interpreter for a Lisp, and it's easy to write a backend. And there is still a lot of activity in the Closure community doing things. There is like an LLVM backend. So it felt like if we use Closure, it would not only persist, but it would have the ability to run in different environments in the future. So I'm not targeting like Closure Script or the or the version that uses the LLVM backend, which I'm not even sure it started yet, but people have been talking about. But I'm pretty confident that those things will be there. So it seems like it's kind of got a balance of being really powerful and requiring a lot less code than a language like Java and that durability that it's going to be around for a while. And that's, that's my opinion anyway. And it's a fun
0: language. Sound like. The power of Emacs written in Lisp and all that gave you, but being able to have all that tool set with Vim too, right?
2: That's true. It could be Emacs jealousy, I guess.
0: Well, I just meant as far as being able to get the REPL and tie in with a lot of the things that Mm -hmm. you get with a lot of Lisp and the use of Emacs, but be able to take all your VI knowledge and transfer over without necessarily Mm -hmm. having to turn on evil mode in Emacs as well.
2: Right. Yeah, so you reminded me that there were some other motivators for starting this project. One was that there is a Vim plugin for nearly every IDE that exists, and it's a different Vim plugin. And it's kind of like Greenspun's 10th rule, is that what it's called? Except with Vim, that every IDE eventually grows in a Vim plugin that's maybe half-implemented So I was thinking that it would be great if this project were structured in a way that could be used like a library. It could be the plugin for these different projects, and it could be a more complete version. So that was one of the motivations, aside from the motivation about wanting a live REPL, and things like incremental compilation and just sort of the things that you get from Eclipse that you can't get from Vim because of Vim's philosophy of not being an IDE.
0: So, you guys have started work on it, and you're actually test driving Avi, yes? Yes. How have you found Closure helping with doing that development? Not only just the test driving, but just kind of giving you your language of them. Part of what I'm wondering is things like, for those who aren't familiar with them that are listening to this, there's a, a command structure, command hierarchy, I guess you would say. I, can you think of a better way to phrase that?
2: I think structure is a lovely word. I mean, there's a there's several parts to a command, and most of them can be omitted. Yeah,
0: yeah. So there's like the movements and surrounding and things like that. So I was wondering, as you're doing this, are you finding that that structure kind of helps translate into some of the closure stuff that you're doing, I guess, as well when you're test driving?
2: Well, I think the fact that most commands are just letters or you know normal characters has helped with test driving a good deal. I think what happens is we say, are the tests, we're using Midgey as our testing framework, but the tests look like an editor after typing J looks like this. And then I have like a little ASCII art table of what it looks like. Actually, that's a mishmash of two examples. But I have tests where it's like the cursor after typing these things is in this position. And then I have tests that are like, the editor after typing these things shows these lines. And so it's like you can say after paging down, I'm seeing these lines on the screen. I think the fact that Vim's commands are powerful and they're short means that I can write that one little concise line that says an editor after loading this file and receiving these keystrokes looks like this. It's really, it's really cool. It's like, it's really a joy for me to read the tests because of how concise it, it is. is.
0: Yeah, I didn't know if some of that was just the command structure and being able to take advantage of closure macros translated as well as you start test driving that out and start building up the commands differently. If you, that was something you found when you were testing. I guess just some of the benefits of closure in and of itself being a lisp, how much that helped and mapped to some of the stuff you're trying to do with.
2: Oh, well, the fact that closure has a strong emphasis on immutability is actually really... A big win for me. I mean, that's how I try to structure things like this. So I think that its emphasis in giving you the tools for your has helped, especially with testing, because I have a standard pattern, sort of like an event loop pattern where I have like a state, which is the editor, and then I have events. And then I say, given the state and an event, what's the next state look like? That allows me to write a little test driver that says, after these things happen, what does the state look like? and then I can even rewind and play that back if I need to debug. That's really cool. How
0: have you found that being written in Clojure, Angela, when you're kind of coming in and working with Clojure, have you found it kind of making it a lot more accessible or slightly different, or what's been your approach as far as the expressibility of everything that's happening with this?
1: So, as I said, I'm an Agile coach, and I'm, I'm really comfortable in Java doing a lot of extractions and names Going into Clojure, I'm new to it all, but Jason and I have a really interesting working style when we pair. There's a lot of questions. What does this mean? How can we express it better? Are you sure that's the name you want, right? So we we end up creating the most expressive code, it, and I get to see that happen in closure. I'm pretty sure if I went to a closure meetup and was exposed to closure code that wasn't written that way, I would be crying. <laughs> but it's really easy to think about it when we we write this really expressive stuff and it helps me understand what's going on. If that makes any sense.
0: It makes good sense. Uh, I was wondering as well. So this is kind of your little playground sandbox for helping you to learn closure as well, you said, right?
1: Yeah, I'm learning closure. Jason tells me that expressiveness is something I'm really good at even in a language I don't know. So we both contribute in different ways, but I'm I'm really happy that I get to learn from him while I'm doing it. It's a blast. What
0: are some of the things that you've picked up doing this, I guess, besides just the expressiveness of the language?
1: I'm not sure I understand the question. What do I like about closure?
0: Well, I guess as you guys are pairing and you're starting to pick up on this, what are some of the things you have found that closure, as being walked through, has helped with? Because you said you've kind of, did you have Haskell experience or? Oh, no. No, I... you just wanted to learn it. <laughs> So so it was more of the interest in learning it when you said that? Yes. Okay.
1: I've played with Haskell a tiny bit, and I've played with Clojure a tiny bit. And so, yeah, I have a lot to learn about functional programming. It's really interesting because I can can stare at the stuff and be nearly in tears for a while, and then it all clarifies. It's quite a process. I don't know if you remember what it's like to be new to functional programming. It's pretty scary.
0: I've been digging in the past three or four years or so, and this is kind of my process of helping to document my journey and get to talk with a bunch of people who are way smarter about the subject than me. But wanted to kind of see, since you're coming in, and apparently Jason's got a bunch of scheme and list background as well, how you found that transition as someone who's making the transition into functional programming as well, and kind of touch on that and how this is helping.
1: How it's helping, I'm not sure. Pairing with Jason helps immensely. So I can't really recommend that to the entire world because there's only one of him. But um, (laughs) having a good, friendly teacher to pair with, man, it's amazing. And, you know, part of what we're doing, because we care about geek joy and getting to do cool stuff and not having it be inaccessible or only accessible to the cool kids, right? One of the principles on the readme is be friendly, especially to noobs. I'm really hoping that the cleanness of it will help it be something that people can learn from besides V.
0: So where are you guys wanting to see this go? Are you guys looking at it being a complete replacement for VI or Vim with VimScript and just kind of starting fresh so everything will need to be translated? Or are you looking at working with interpreting some VimScript as well? Kind of what are you thinking the long-term vision of this is? Well, one of
2: the principles is do not defeat a Vimmer's muscle memory. I'm not <laughs> fond of VimScript, but to the extent that colon q enter is VimScript, we'll have to support that. I'm hoping that Clojure makes a great scripting language for writing plugins and configuring things to the extent that it does that that we want to have it configurable. So far, there's no configuration options, you get what you get. And I want to see how long that goes
0: is that and i guess part of it is if nothing else is the basics of you're envisioning more of using closure and the data structures of closure almost using an eden style approach the extensible data notation that is closure without the evaluation almost and using that as far as the i guess the vimrc style as well
2: well it could actually be a script that gets loaded i guess I mean, it, we're not there yet, right? So, <laughs> I don't
0: want to commit. I was just kind of wondering where you guys are, kind of, as we're talking about this and kind of letting people know what they can look forward to if they want to help, or just follow along, kind of give some expectation of what would be in store for. Her. So if they want to try and help do this, that they know kind of where your philosophy would be. Because with... wow. I could see this as being an interesting playground for, people who are wanting to get into Clojure who are Vim users and kind of take some of their knowledge of Vim and apply it to help learn Clojure in a way that it sounds like Angela is using this as well?
2: Well, I would say uh, talk to us. I mean, I don't... Yeah, where do you want it to go? You're right, exactly. I don't have... I know that I want to be able to write Clojure in it with a live REPL. And I have a sense that there are a lot of decisions that Vim made that were really good that are just not things I'm going to reconsider unless somebody says, I have this idea. It would be really cool to learn. Oh, you know, maybe if we changed how text objects work or something, then there would be all these other possibilities. You know, maybe that would be cool. I don't know. I would love to have discussions about that. And I'm sure personally, I don't think we want this to be just like a complete Vim clone. I think we're trying to solve another problem. So I think the discussions are important.
1: Right, because why not just modify Vim or write plugins for Vim, right? There's a reason. Mm-hmm. Because we want this this beautiful, extensible code that's a joy to work in.
0: Yeah, I was it was kind of the, without defeating muscle memory, it was more of the, everybody kind of has their rebindings of things that they do. For their shortcut keys and remapping later keys to certain commands. So I wasn't sure if that was something you guys had thought about and how Clojure would affect that decision if you guys had gotten that far. And working in a functional language is like Clojure making that decision for you.
1: Well the the not defeating Vim muscle memory means you can't you can't pick just one person's favorite bindings, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm guessing
2: the majority of what a person who uses Vim regularly does has not been changed from the default. I mean, there's all sorts of additional stuff that people add. I think the basic stuff is going to stay.
0: Okay. I guess kind of going into a little more in depth with the closure and using that. You mentioned the functionalness and the immutability of closure is helping you. With your event loop and processing and taking commands and events of closure. You want to elaborate on that a little more?
2: I wrote some iPad games a few jobs ago and we used Cocos 2D as the framework or Coco 2D. I can't remember now. One of the interesting things about it was that it modeled a lot of things that we do with threads in the state in enterprise programming. You tell an object, you go do this thing and stop when you hit something. And you tell an ob- object, oh, you go do this thing and stop after two seconds. And the interesting thing is that when we were writing these games, we came up with a lot of just non-deterministic behavior. Like something would stop a slight tick before another thing, and so it would react differently, and we would have to handle that case. And then the same thing would happen you know, there's this sort of combinatorial thing. And with this idea of having a state as an immutable object and an event loop that, or an event process function that takes a state and an event and returns the next state, and that being the whole heart of an application, came out of struggling to make a lot of that stuff work. I was thinking a lot about Scheme at the time when I was doing that stuff, even though we didn't write it in Scheme. And I even gave a talk about how I would use Scheme to write games because of that. And so that idea stuck with me for a long time. And when we were starting out with this, I made it sort of the core
0: of how it works. Is that something you take advantage of with Vim's buffers as well? Because I know you have the undo buffers. Is that something you're able to take advantage of and use the immutability and be able to essentially walk back the structures and undo changes as you undo or redo in the Vimtree events? We don't have undo yet.
2: (laughs) Um, That's an interesting question. Yeah, I guess. We could use that, right? But the first thing I think of when you say that is, does that mean that we never get, nothing ever gets garbage collected? Maybe there's an in-between way? I don't know. We'll burn that bridge when we get there, right?
0: (laughs) I wasn't sure because I'm like, I don't know that you could hold on to everything or essentially re-collapse certain events after an undue period. The reason I'm thinking of this is, I guess, some of David Nolan's reactive stuff that I've seen coming out from him and wasn't sure how much that might translate to what you guys are doing with Vim, where essentially almost every keyboard strike would be an event that you're responding to and it gets filtered based off of time of window of commands or if you're in... Normal mode, as you start entering those keyboards, those get accumulated into one string until you get back into normal mode from insert mode, and that becomes a change, and those changes become events that you're capturing and store in your data structure of events that you then rebuild your text editor from in an event processing stream kind of way. I'm not sure if that makes sense to you what I was trying to ask or not. I
2: think I partially followed what you were saying. I don't know much about that React JS stuff that David Nolan is doing, but it sounds pretty cool to me. And it seems like there because of the immutability and the persistent data structures that Closure has, there might be there might be an easy way to do this. That would be cool if we could find it.
0: Yeah, I was kind of thinking of The event sourcing, eventing model, where these things are all kind of just events that you capture and store in a giant immutable data structure, and then rebuild the end state from that, or walk the tree back, almost like a git commit log, but Mm -hmm. of every command that you've run, because your events are now immutable. If that's kind of what you were thinking when you were talking about the immutability and that you were getting from Clojure and that you wish you had in the Coco 2D game you were working on.
2: Yeah, it's definitely part of it. would uh, be. It's definitely a feature to exploit.
0: So what are you guys seeing in the short term with this, where you're wanting to go? Is the REPL something you're trying to get in early in the interaction, or is that something that's more of a longer-term thing and you're wanting to try and get some of more VIM basic functionality before you try and tackle that
1: You know, we don't have insert mode yet. So really love to see other people get involved and help drive it out as we get it to a point where it's useful. What do you think, Jason?
2: I agree with that. I was just scratching some notes that we haven't even talked about today, and I was thinking about, okay, a couple more keys, and I can kind of use this as view. If I have like half page up and half half page down in GG, then it's basically how I read a readme file. And then it's actually something I can use on a daily basis. And then I was thinking, so what's next? And I was thinking, well, then it really needs to be something big like insert mode. And then I forget what else I scratched, but I had sort of an idea of getting most value as quickly as possible. Sort of like agile prioritization of features. I don't know if that's what we're going to actually do, but... It sounds like that there's a way to make it really useful really quickly for subsets of what people would use Vim for.
1: You know, it'd be fun. I don't know if it can be done, but we keep talking about insert mode coming next, but what if the REPL came next or the ability to execute
2: That's interesting.
1: A read only sort of except you can run it.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's cool.
1: So we're still thinking about, you know, what's what makes an MVP for a closure Vim? Who knows? Tell us, right? Send us your comments and tell us what makes what would make it useful the fastest.
0: So that's a call out to anybody listening who's playing with Clojure that wants a live running REPL. I guess the other call out would be kind of come in and see. Because I know I just did a quick test to pull it down and tried to run some tests and submitted a pull request, but I'm sure that you guys would love anybody else with Closure knowledge coming in and kind of helping take a swag at this, right?
1: Your pull request made us so happy. It was our first one. It was awesome. And yes, of course, we'd love to have more.
0: Definitely. Let's talk about testing with Midge a little bit more. I was looking at some of the tests, and I've pulled up some of them off and on as we were talking. The fact that you're giving the state before and the state after with Midge, how are you finding that compared to the other testing frameworks that you've worked in? Is that something that helps outline it a little more explicitly? Is that something that you find is kind of specific to midge or more specific to functional languages where the state going in is the state going out and the representation of that when you're trying to drive out this basic functionality of just the basics of navigating lines?
2: Hmm, that's interesting. So we actually wrote together a scheme testing framework that used the same kind of arrow that Midge uses. And it's because, for the same reason, which is that that's how things are printed in documentation. And so it's kind of cool to be able to say the left-hand side results in the right-hand side. And that was, to me, that's why I chose it. It sounds like there is some regret on choosing that syntax. I've heard some controversy about it, and
1: you made some regret from... on Brian's part, Brian Merrick's part. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, he had some comments
2: in a in a in an issue on GitHub that said, "Hey, well, that might have been a mistake," but and then continued on. And I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's interesting." What I do notice, though, is that the way what happens on the right hand side of the arrow is really powerful. And the way that it looks and the way that it produces our facts is really interesting. I can, I think that the tests are more expressive than they would have been if we were using uh, a normal closure test or something else. And I'm really happy with the auto test support in Midge 2. It allows me, since I'm not using Emacs, right? It allows us to set up a Tmux panel that just has the tests, and every time we save a file, it will tell us what's red and what's green, which has really tightened up the loop.
1: It's nice,
0: yeah. One of the things, just reading through the test when I was looking at it, just trying to run the test and just seeing what you guys have done going in was the expressivity of the test and the way you guys defined the language that you guys are expecting where just looking at a test, it's not going to translate greatly over a podcast format, but (laughs) it's expressive enough that it may actually be decent. So I'm looking at the core test, CLJ file, where you talk about Mm -hmm. the facts of regarding quitting and being in the state of finished or not, where you express the mode of the editor after a character sequence is or is not finished. Mm-hmm. Where you outline mode, editor, after, colon, Q, arrow, not, finished. And that expressivity, and I guess that's part coming from Midge, and part coming from your guys' focus on making it clean and nice and pleasant to read. Yeah.
1: Usually Jason codes yeah. like a nerd, and we get together and make things more expressive. Uh-huh. Uh, but he came up with looks like while I was at work one day, and I was just... I was just amazed. So lovely. It looks like it was just born that way, but it's really quite amazing. Oh shucks. <laughs> yeah, the
0: looks like is really nice too for saying, because the other one regarding screen resizes or some of the others is editor is editing 10 lines after your resize list command where it gives you the error of what it looks like and it's an outline of your string with some other metadata around it and that's that's a very interesting approach that I don't know that I would see in many other languages without giving a giant single-page screen and then having some other metadata tests around it. Thinking things like NUnit and the c .NET land or even going the opposite spectrum of RSpec, where you would have your describe block and here's your expectation, but then your whole other set of... Metadata exceptions where this is all kind of just one structure based off the looks like.
2: You know, I, um, keep hearing about people who don't want you to ever extract functions or methods from tests. I don't understand this. Definitely would not. Uh, I just, most tests in, uh, Avi right now are one line long. Well, okay, two if you include the English part of it. And I think, I can't imagine if you didn't extract from tests that you could do that. I mean, I guess this is mostly from Java land that this thing don't extract from tests happens. But I I think, I don't know, I'm probably digressing because it's just something I've been thinking about lately.
0: Yeah, and I guess part of it I was thinking was more of the way that you're taking advantage of a vector and looking at your helper where you're kind of, are able to partition out those lines where a line is really the text and some of the state information about it. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. essentially a hash or a list, I guess an alternating list of keys versus a hash where you've got kind of the combined state and and details of that. Yeah. Is that something that you found that closure kind of helped you with a lot? or Because it looks like you're actually using just Functions versus being able to take advantage of some of the macros and tr- actually transform it to an to a different string, but
2: I, I'm pretty sure we don't have any macros in there yet. Actually, which is interesting. Yep. So
1: it is, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I mean, like I'm definitely not scared of macros. I definitely write macros even in places where some people are like, "Don't please don't use macros." <laughs> so it's interesting. It's really interesting to notice in Closure we have made expressive testing and we haven't used any.
1: Yeah, usually usually we rely on macros and we did with the scheme testing framework but it hasn't seemed necessary.
0: No. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting just browsing the code was you were able to get that level of ex- expressivity in that domain language and it's all coming from just functions and being able to deal with the data structures themselves that Clojure gives you Mm -hmm. without having to actually resort to going to macros at this point. And everything's still able to be a function and still maintain that expressivity, whereas you hear a lot about, well, it's the macros that help a lot with making expressive languages with Clojure and other Lisps.
2: Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder where that's going to go. It's now, I think I'm going to pay a lot more attention to that now.
0: Someone who's been playing with Clojure and never doing it full-time, and just, I have kind of have a love affair on the side with it. But it's one of those, it's interesting to see the approach here that you guys are starting to take, and the background versus some of the other projects that I've kind of looked in and explored a little bit of. It's familiar, but slightly different, which is an interesting, interesting way, because, and it may just be my memory at this point, but the way you guys are actually structuring this stuff and the expressivity you're able to, I guess, with the focus on the expressivity.
1: Yeah, we're kind of obsessed.
0: (laughs) Yep. Have you found that slowing you down or is that speeding you up with being able to be this expressive?
1: Oh, that's easy. It's easy for me. What about you, Jason?
2: (laughs) I was actually trying to imagine... What if I wrote it like... what, what, What if it had been... I don't know. Okay, I guess I can't imagine it. Not expressive. I just,
0: yeah. What would it be like if you were to write it in your first pass before Angela comes through and says... What the
1: hell is that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's never happened before.
1: Well, and what Uh, happens is the next day or two days later, you go back and try to read it and cry.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah.
1: You're like, I can't even read this.
2: Yeah, it, it does right. happen. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. That's a, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I just don't... To me, being expressive is so much a core to what this project is about that like, I don't think I can imagine it another way.
0: <laughs> it was a kind of a question of... There's the debate on whether or not it's a myth that making code clean and expressive is actually faster or... No, it's slow down and we don't need that because we can just crank out code. And I know there's plenty of people in both camps. <laughs> okay,
2: so I did a bunch of foreclosure problems. Actually, I have three left and I lost interest at three left because, you know, that's the kind of thing I do. I well, know they're that. they're
1: really
2: I... hard. <laughs> oh, that's no. Okay, that's not <laughs> but, no, but you know, like some of them are like a couple pages of code and because foreclosure forces you to write it all in like one function body and you can't extract things. For example, I sort of reverted to like my old school style of I competed in top coder for a while and years ago. And there's a separate kind of coding style for that where the things are like all one letter variable names and all that. <laughs> and what I've discovered is if you're going to throw it away after you run it, that's Okay. <laughs> that works. There's a limit to what I can keep in my head. And there are definitely several problems on foreclosures that are not ones I can keep in my head. And those are the ones where I've paid the price for doing it. As soon as I have to like refactor or change something or go back and say that was a bad decision, it hurts. But the other ones, I think in that small period, I think you can do it. I don't know that it's really weird watching somebody go, looking over somebody's shoulder, going back to foreclosure and looking at a problem. Angela was looking at a problem and she follows me on foreclosure and saw my solution and I was like, oh God, what does that do? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And it looks like scheme, not closure. Why would I write it like that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think. I
1: definitely had code regret after like three days. That was funny. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah one of the guiding principles. There are only four, right? And one of them is code is for people, be expressive as hell. And I guess the one thing I'd want to add is there are those who imply that clean, expressive code is some sort of moral issue, right? That if you want to be a good person, you should write clean code. That's not why we write clean code. We write clean code because we're in this for the joy and the money. But as developers, we we want to keep being happy and finding joy in our work. And that's that's really what the clean code is about. It's about how do I code in a way that I want to keep living, right? <laughs> that I want to wake up tomorrow morning and do some more and not be miserable. And um, we both spent some time in framework hell and in code that was untestable and various other things like that. So this isn't really, it is faster and smoother. If it weren't, we wouldn't do it, right? It's it's really about happy coding, I agree with
2: that one hundred
0: percent is that something that you've kind of seen closure
1: lends itself to in your perspective angela oh i have I have not seen much ugly closure, although doing the foreclosure problems do you guys do you know what that is It's a series of closure puzzles for learning the number four closure dot org I think anyway, doing those, I would see Jason's solutions and they were ugly, so that's the only ugly closure. <laughs>
0: Have you noticed using closure reduce the friction for expressivity as well versus some of the other languages that you've had your background with, Angela? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, there's a lot less boilerplate, a lot less to deal with. I don't know how much its expressivity should be credited to Jason's brilliance, and how much I, like I said, I've never, never seen ugly closure, so I don't know. But I, it is. I mean, you can look at the tests and see that it's way more beautiful than Java.
0: Have you found that that? Go ahead, Jason. I was going to ask your opinion. He's going to disagree. Oh, um, Java's yeah. way more
1: beautiful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I definitely don't think so.
2: I don't know. I was thinking about this particular... I I don't have an answer here, but I, I have a thought. And I was thinking about... I think Haskell, for example, is really beautiful and expressive. And the interesting thing is in Haskell, there's all sorts of weird function names that don't actually mean English things. There's like one... I guess they sort of do, but you have to know them anyway. Like one's called nub. And I don't really think that that's expressive, like Nub, what does Nub do, right? But there's like in Haskell, there's dozens and dozens of these and you learn them. I think Clojure has a core library of really powerful abstractions that have sort of weird, not quite English names that are not exactly what they mean. You know, for example, there's an every and then there's an every with a question mark and they do two totally different things. I think there is a little bit of an impediment there in terms of writing expressive code.
1: Isn't that why we ended up using so many macros with the scheme stuff?
2: Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. I think there is definitely, in my opinion, there's something about the language that you need to know. Like it's, I don't think that it's a great idea to make expressive code by making everything read exactly English, because I think there is actually powerful abstractions in a language that if you learn them, you have an easier time dealing with things and you can deal with bigger concepts than you could otherwise. But it's like, I think those things should be kind of a small core. Like, it's like the barrier to entry, I guess. I don't know. So that's my thought. And I'm not, don't hold me to that because that's, I'm not sure that I believe that.
0: (laughs) I did the Euler problems and I was putting those to my blog as part of helping learn closure. And as you were talking about some of those core things, even just map and reduce, where one of the guys commented, blog is arcane sentiment, and commented on the fact that I was doing reduce, multiply, so reduce, asterisk, and then the list of items, or apply, plus, apply, multiply, or reduce, plus, and said, why don't you just give this kind of a nice readable name? And make that just a function that says multiply, and then it would just be multiply your list items instead of the reduce, which I thought was an mm. interesting approach because they don't talk about that when you start digging into functional programming. It's all map, reduce, filter versus actually giving the expressive context of what you're mm. actually trying to apply. I guess is that something in lines of your thought as well, or I
2: guess, except for you know that I actually. Don't know what I was saying, so <laughs> I'm not sure what I actually believe on that. I think I, well, I remember a couple things. One is that the code is for people, and it's expressive with respect to an audience. So there's always that. The
1: the thing is that there's you know there's these beautiful. I, I don't ask me for examples because my brain will go numb and I'll feel stupid. But there are these beautiful things that you can do, and sometimes they're complex and Making them expressive, if you slip into dumbing it down or, you know, you're not really making it expressive, you're naming it something simpler than it is, right? And the key is to let it be what it is. And and if you can do it more expressively, fine, but you don't want to lose the power that the language is giving you. I don't know. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Hmm.
1: But if there's a plain English word that says the same thing, then use it.
0: Yeah. So it looks like we're kind of getting close to an hour. So I want to kind of give you guys the chance to promote anything that the audience should know about or anything you guys want to notify people of for calling out to help of contributions on Avi or anything else.
1: I think Avi's a big deal right now. I would just really love to have conversation around it. The conversation Mm -hmm. with you has been really cool. You know, what comes next, right? What does an MVP look like? I'd love to see more people contributing ideas and pull requests (laughs) but just yeah come see us on the github repo that's my vote what about you jason
2: yeah that's exactly what i was going to say
1: mytria.com could be inspiring but we haven't really fleshed it out so there's not a lot there although we're on twitter i'm angela harms and he's eraser head
2: eraser hd is
0: how it's spelled so when you want discussion around GitHub, what's the best way you think for people to contribute for that discussion?
1: Right now it's looking like issues. I have this fantasy that there'll be so many people will have to start a mailing list. <laughs>
2: that would be cool.
0: Right? Yeah. I wanted to make sure that people who wanted to go check you out and figure out how to contribute could make the best of your time and approach you in the best way possible for you guys as well. So just kind of create issues with some ideas and things you're thinking about, and then that'll be the discussion forum, it sounds like. Yeah. Yep.
1: I just found out that 34 people have started the repo. Isn't oh, that wow. cool?
2: What was it last time? It was like six. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, we have, we've had some issues about it not being able to work on Linux, which I hope we have resolved. I think it sounds like we have mostly. That's cool. I, I'm really excited that people are actually responding and trying it.
1: Issues are very much appreciated.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds good. So people can find you at Mytria and your respective Twitter handles, which I'll put in the show notes. Is there any other places you guys want people to know about to track you guys down to either stalk you or, or harass you with items and discussion questions?
1: Uh, Twitter's a really good place to find us. Yeah. That's the best place. Oh, I guess we could give you email addresses, too.
0: I'll put them in the show notes if you want it. It's your discretion.
1: Okay, yeah. I'm happy to have my email address in the show notes. Jason, are you?
0: Yeah, yeah. That would be
2: cool.
1: I'm Angela.Harms at com.
2: I'm Jason.M.Felice, period period what's with an F, <laughs> at gmail.com.
0: Okay, that sounds great. I would like to give a giant thank you to David Belcher for the logo, and once again, I would like to thank Angela and Jason for giving their time to me today.
2: And I would like to thank you. (laughs) It's really great to get some exposure around this, so I'm really happy.
0: I hope I can do something for you guys, because it looks like a neat project, and I would like to see it take off a little more, and I figure it will be fun for whatever free time I can have mustering around between editing this podcast and some other stuff to try and go in and contribute, and Use it to help me learn VI better as I work by having to implement some of this stuff. So it was a pleasure talking with you.
1: Yeah, you too. Yeah.
0: Until next time, this has been Functional Geekery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Homo-iconicity. Word of the day. (laughs)